The Accounting Insider with Kim Nitschke. I'm Andrew Montessi with Kim Nitschke, continuing our conversation about property. And Kim, a lot of people have made mistakes when it comes to investing in property. Yes. And um, a lot of the time that creates fear and they think stuff that um, I'm not going to not going to have a go at this again. I'm going to go back in my shell and keep it simple. You've made some mistakes along the way. Plenty. <laughs> so can you maybe share your story um, about one of the big mistakes that you made, and and then perhaps let's talk about how you got back on the horse. Okay, we may have already touched on this, but bear with us um, if we have. But I bought two units in Littlehampton, a little suburb on the outskirts of Adelaide. And I also bought a house in the neighbouring street. Now I went and saw uh, my dad's bank manager at the time and he looked at what salary I was earning as a baby accountant, which was $21,000 back then. And he said, Kim, I think you can borrow $80,000. And I thought, no. I know better than him. I'm going to shop around. I walked around the corner and went and met with someone who was a referral, who was a bank manager, sorry, it was a referral to a bank manager uh, who was a banker at Challenge Bank, which is no longer around, but it was based in Perth at the time. I think it's been snapped up by, I can't remember who by, but the bank manager in there was much more adventurous and he said, Kim, I'll give you 180000 So I thought, you little ripper. So I went out and bought these two units, $60,000 each, and I bought a house around the corner where I could subdivide a block off. Now, interest rates were high. It all worked very well if I had tenants in all my properties. I paid 60,000 for each of these units. They were generating a return of $120 a week and they were fully tenanted when I bought them. I did a little facelift on each of them and then the tenants from hell moved in. (laughs) And I was getting phone calls in the middle of the night from neighbours saying, Kim, can you come around here and tell your tenants to turn the music down? And I panicked, you know, lying awake at night, thinking, oh my God, what have I done? And then I learnt the line that, you know, that you should use as a property manager any time when you run like that is, okay, I'm in bed, I'm miles away, ring the police. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, those tenants after a period of time moved out because the units was so small, it was honestly worse than living in a caravan park. In fact, they moved to the caravan park. <laughs> That's not a great, not a great sign. So, um, this all turns south very quickly. With both of my tenants gone in those units, and my meagre wage, and I think I was living in the house at the time, the interest payments were actually more than my wage. So, I didn't have a very long runway. Oh dear, so you're up to your eyeballs. I was over my head big time. So I remember on one of those dark, dark nights driving to the caravan park where I'd heard my tenants had moved, sitting down in their caravan and begging them to come back and move back into the unit. Bloody hell. It was terrible. It was dark, dark days. Thank God they accepted <laughs> and they moved back and I had to give them a discount on rent or whatever, but I was just so happy to have something coming in again. Um, and... It was actually so bad in those days that I had to quit my accounting job and get a job as a labourer 
in Cobar in the middle of Australia in a mining town. Now, what an accountant's doing out there mining, God only knows, but I ended up working in a mine 800 metres underground, scared out of my brains, working day shift and night shift, not on the same day obviously, but on a ro roster rotation, but my salary went from 21000 to 60000 overnight. So with that extra income, I was actually able to knock down some of the debt and I'd realized I'd made a big mistake. So I put those units back on the market. Mind you, having told all my friends that I was going to own all of Little Hampton at that stage. <laughs> so I was back. So your, your, your ego has taken a bit of a hit as well as your bank account. <laughs> I was on the ropes big time. So you can sort of understand the, the mindset. I, I sold those bloody units for the same price I paid for them. I think it was five years later, I ended up not making a cent, losing money on them. I ended up selling the house as well. I liquidated all my assets because I was completely over property. I never wanted to see another property ever again. In fact, I swore to people, I'll never buy another house. And I just sat with a bit of cash. God, God knows how I got out of it, but I ended up getting back my original deposit plus a bit because I'd pumped so much into it. Yeah. And I swore I was never gonna go back into property ever again. So what did you do then? You, did you quit the mining gig and go back into accounting and think, right, I'm going to be that old school conservative accountant and just plug away? What did you do next? So I actually liked the mining thing. I was, I was scared and terrified and everything, but my boss found out that I was actually a fully qualified accountant and he rang me one day and he said, look, I hear you're an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell are you doing <laughs> working in the middle of it, the outback as a miner? And I said, well, look, I'm making actually a hell of a lot more money than I ever was as an accountant. He said, look, tell you what, why don't you come and work for me in head office as an accountant? I said, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> Obviously, a hell of a lot safer. <laughs> and I said, but can you keep me on the same money? And there was a silence on the phone. <laughs> but he said, deal. But he made me work my absolute ass off. Yeah. He was ringing me at 3 o'clock in the morning. And if I didn't answer my mobile, he was saying, Kim, what's the point of giving you a mobile when you never answer the bloody thing? <laughs> Anyway, so I burnt out, but it managed, it, it was a perfect um, opportunity for me to get back on my feet, sell my properties and reassess life. And um, not too long after that point in time, I proposed to my wife and her dad basically said to me, um, where are you going to live? So I didn't really have a choice. I had to get back into property be, uh, unless we were going to rent for the rest of our life. So I had a great mentor at the time and I was a bit older and wiser now and I, whenever someone gave me advice, and I still apply this today, I always look at what car they're driving, I drive past their house and look at what house they're living in and then I filter the advice accordingly that I'm getting from that person. So this guy lived in a beautiful house, had a business that was worth millions and millions of dollars and drove a great car and had a great family. And he said to he me- He had credibility. Look, yeah, he had credibility. And he said to me, look, um, I think you should buy in this suburb because I've already bought a lot of land in that suburb and it's just going up rapidly. So I went and did this, the, the research, drove around the suburb, walked the streets, and found a house that was run down, which my wife loved. So you, you, yeah, but you've taken advice, but then you've also done your own research, which I think is a key point there. I did my research and I found a house that I loved. Looking back, it was a bit ugly now. Mm -hmm. um, but it did the job. It was going to be a base, base camp for um, my wife and I. And I put in an offer before, offer, uh, before auction, which wasn't accepted. 
uh, and I ended up winning it at the auction and sold the property uh, I think six years later and tripled my money. And then you thought this property gig isn't so bad after all. That's right. I thought, well, here I am, you know, someone who's never going to go into property ever again because I hated it and I thought it was such a, um, a, a game fraught with danger and here I was actually cleaning up now. In this it's, co- it's confidence, you know. Yeah, you it is. I lost my confidence. I lost my way and I had to get back on the horse. So in that time of losing your confidence, I mean, obviously there was the necessity of needing to buy a house, but... Um, I'd imagine that you had, you've mentioned that you had some good people around you, you had your mentor, um, you also read a, a book that was quite influential. Yes, now I'm the accountant in the family, so I'm supposed to be the one dishing out advice, but my sister, who's a lawyer, gave me a great little book when I was down and out called um, Seven Steps to Wealth by John Fitzgerald. And it was one of the easiest books to read. It was written by a real estate agent from Queensland who knew his stuff and retired at. 25 or 26 and he just put down seven steps about property investing and I thought you know what every one of those steps makes a lot of sense to me and now I'm going to make those seven steps my mantra and people as well um, I'd imagine that being in the right circle and you know from personal experience I've learned this as well being in the right circle in those tough times is crucial you need the right people speaking into your life in those times. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, looking back, people sort of people's advice got me into the mess, but other people's advice got me out of the mess. So, it's a, it's. I've really found that it's getting the right advice from the right people. You know, the ones that have been around for a long time and are winning and still winning and also to you got to uh, there's other emotional factors not just financial success like i i bear a big um i put a lot of weight on whether that person's um still with their wife and their kids are more or less on track you know so there's plenty of people out there who are financial superstars and great people but they've sort of um, they haven't maintained the balance that I want. Yeah. And as a result, they've the, the marriage has gone off the rails and the kids are sort of, you know, um, struggling in one way or another. And then there's all the learnings uh, that you've built up over that period. So I think it must be really important to then take what you learned through that, that rough period and then apply it to your life and then do what you're doing now sharing those lessons yeah for me i went to all these you know negative gearing seminars and they'd basically say anyone can do it and i think they sowed the seeds which were in my mind that it were any old mug can do it but that led me to underestimating the competition Mm. and not so when i came back a second time and i did it i was much older and wiser and all those things that had um, adversely impacted on me the first time, I used them to my advantage the second time so that I went in with my eyes wide open and I didn't just take everything that was told to me as gospel. I tried to validate every piece of advice and you know, basically I, I was less trustworthy, I guess, of the people that were the professionals around me and I was doing my own research and saying, well, does that stack up with 
with what I know and what, what I think. And a lot of the time it didn't. And if it didn't, I just discounted it and moved on to the next one. And there's no set, there's no formula set in stone, is there? I think that's where some people get into a bit of a bit of a trap is, um, you know, someone did it exactly this way. So if I do it exactly the same as them, then I'm going to get the exact same result. I'd imagine that there's all sorts of other factors. And at some point, you've just got to back yourself in. Oh, absolutely. It's, a con- you know, it's a, it's a constantly moving target. So what applied to um, someone investing in probably 10 years ago, the rules have all changed now. And there's a completely different set of parameters that you're working against. So you really... Um, yeah, so you're never gonna have you're never gonna know the future. You've got to take a punt, but um, history has a strange way of repeating itself. So make most of your decisions based on historical information, and then evaluate what's happening around you, and make a well-informed decision based on all those factors. So for someone who's stuffed up, they've made a bit of a loss at their you know first or second crack at property. What's your message to them? Get straight back on the horse. Don't don't go off with your tail between your legs, and you know resort to the fact that I'm never going to be any good, or I'm just going to work in my job, locked in my corral, and pay off my house, and that's it. You know, you you're as successful today because of all the things that have gone wrong in the past. I'm a firm believer in that. You know, you've got to take all of them. They're all learning opportunities for you, even though they've you've been kicked in the teeth. You've actually got to pick yourself up off off the ground. And, and, and realise that you've got so much to offer and there's um, so much that you can bring to the table and you can do so well. You know, that great old saying that when a champion can't, can't get up, he does. I think that's a really good note to finish on. So we'd love to get your feedback. Um, you can get in touch with Kim via uh, his company website, Nitschke Nankaro. Don't even bother trying to spell it. Just start punching the letters into Google and, and the website should hopefully appear. Um, And also, if you like what we're doing with Accounting Insider, don't be afraid to leave a review. As we said, we'd love your feedback and uh, any thoughts that you might have. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accounting Insider Podcast with Kim Nitschke. 